0: This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Great, thanks Andrew. And a very good morning slash afternoon to everyone. It's always a privilege to be able to gather with God's people, whether it's in person or whether via Zoom. I hope you have your Bible with you, whether it's digital or a physical one because we'll be flipping through these two chapters together. Let's begin by asking God to help us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us the word of life. We pray this morning as we gather in your presence that you'll calm our minds and help us to bring our focus upon your word. May your Holy Spirit help us to engage with your truth and that you will help us to respond rightly to you. We pray and commit the rest of this time into your hands. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, during the COVID pandemic, some of our guys, including one of our pastors, have learned to cut their own hair. So they save themselves from the trouble of going to an external hairdresser. However, we do not always have that same capacity to help ourselves Without external interventions. And that is why hospitals remain open. Operating theatres and surgeons are essential. External interventions are required when we uh, need a heart or a head surgery. Now, this morning and afternoon, we've come to Genesis 5 and 6, which reveal a predicament, a crisis that humanities are in. Now we cannot save ourselves from our problem and we desperately need an external intervention. So now turn or scroll with me in your Bible to Genesis chapter 5 as we paint today's context together. Flip with me to Genesis chapter 5. Now this is how Genesis 5 begins. Uh, I put it on the screen. Genesis 5 verse 1 says this, This is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And he named them mankind when they were created. Now, when Genesis 5 was written, uh, it was written with an obvious reminder of the Genesis 1 creation setting. In fact, in Genesis 1, 28, God already said He was the creator of humankind. Male and female, He created them. God named humans and then He blessed humans to be fruitful and to multiply. And so we see this blessing repeatedly mentioned throughout Genesis 5. If you look at Genesis 5, verse 3, we read this, that Adam had lived 130 years. He had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth and had other sons and daughters. We could go on in verse 6, when Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh and had other sons and daughters. And this repeats itself, God's blessings of them multiplying, being fruitful in verse 9, verse 12. Verse 15, verse 18, 21, 25, 28, the blessing of God on humanity to be fruitful and to multiply. This were painted in this account in Genesis 5. And given their long lives, getting married late doesn't affect or hinder their populating of the world. Noah, he was a late bloomer. He only became a father at 500 years old, but you know what? No problem, guys. He had three sons at the 5th century. Now, I would like to invite us to do some observation as you open up your Bible to chapter 5. I want you to observe with me as you scan this chapter. What you should catch, what should have caught your attention if you are to read Genesis 5 or you heard it just now, was actually the lack of details despite how long they lived there was no mention of achievements, accolades, Guinea's World Record. The genealogy of Adam's line was not the content page of the book because there was no content apart from the repetition of what is happening that a, son, a, a man lived X years, had a son, lived Y years, and then he had other sons and daughters. Instead, as you look at Genesis 5, what should come um, striking to you or new to you from Genesis 1 is that it has started to include God's curse from Genesis 3. And so if you were to read on to verse 5, this is what you see. Adam lived a total of 930 years and then he died. Verse 8, Sam lived a total of 912 years and then he died. Verse 11, Enosh lived a total of 905 years and then he died. Verse 14, 17, 20, 27, they lived and then they died. Well, I'm sure... As we read this account, many things could have been written about each of these families. Perhaps there were great inventors and explorers. Perhaps there were stories of great architects who managed to build a house to feed six generations and they don't quarrel. Perhaps there were great historians or hunters who wielded eggs perfectly or releases arrows flawlessly. Many stories and legends and trilogies could have been written. But Genesis 5 was surprisingly plain, so that we cannot avoid the monotony of life, that no matter how long a person lives, death always finishes the story. Now dear friends, here's the reality. The, The blessings, the excitements, the achievements of our human life are always drastically beaten up because everyone sees the face of death at the end of our life's journey and we can do nothing about it. Now, I'd like to invite us to imagine with me a place that looks like an international airport. That everyone of us, we're carrying our luggages and stepping onto different travelators some stretch further than the others, but all arrive at the gates of death. Now, if you're delayed in arriving at your departure gate because you were queuing for a coffee, you're stuck in a toilet, or you're still at a souvenir shop to buy um, stuff, you will no doubt hear your name being called out from the PA system. But the difference in this international airport is that The play will not take off without you or me. The graved seat with your name and my name will not be left empty. They must be filled. So it must catch our attention when we read of two men in Genesis 5 account who seem to have disrupt this monotonous uh, in this narrative of Genesis 5. And one man... One of them was Enoch. The other was Noah. Now I want to invite us to look at chapter 5 verse 22 and see this account of Enoch. Look with me to verse 22 of chapter 5. Let me read it for us. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. Now, imagine with me, the steward at the airport or the departure gate calling out for Enoch's name, but Enoch did not reply. And the agents trained to retrieve the non-compliant were about to set loose their hounds when suddenly God's voice is being heard that goes something like this over the peer system. Drop the search. Enoch is not boarding. Now, that is a disruptor to the monotony of Genesis 5. Look at verse 24 with me. Again, verse 24. It says, Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. In the New Testament, Hebrews 11.5 describes Enoch's life this way. It says, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. Now, dear friends, death comes to everyone, both you and me. By ourselves, we can learn no skills to escape the curse and the consequence of Genesis 3. Death comes to all who are separated from the Lord God. Long may be our lives, or short it can be, but no one will escape death by our own efforts. Our lives become yet another repetition of the monotony of living and then dying only God Himself can intervene. And so in our reading of Enoch's account, we are awakened to realize that God can and God does intervene. God intervenes for those who walked by faith in Him and who walked with God. Now, what does it mean, we may ask, to walk with God or to have faith in God? Well, we're just going to put it on hold for a while, and we will come back to that shortly. But first, we want to read the second disruption in Genesis 5. And that disruption is the account of Noah. Because in verse 28, we read of Enoch's great-grandson, Noah, whose name carried the meaning of comfort. And the account of his death is actually being put on hold to a later chapter. So I want to invite us to look at verse 28, 29 in your Bible. Would you look at it with me as I read it for us? When Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son. He named him Noah and said, He will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. Now, put your finger there as you look at it. Enoch's son... Uh, grandson Lamech named his own son Enoch and Enoch's name sounded like the word comfort and he was to be humanity's hope for relief from the curse of God and the violence that is happening but we must not miss out the observation here if you look at this verse that Noah he did not get his name because of how good he was Noah was given the name while he was still in his diapers. And it would be more than five, six hundred years later before he would in some way bring comfort to humanity. So as we step into Noah's story, we will inevitably come face to face with God's curse and God's diagnosis of humanity. So as we look at it, now turn to Genesis 6 and We'll look at the first few verses together. Let me read it for us. Genesis 6, verse 1 to verse 3. Look at it with me as I read it for us. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal, or for they are corrupt. The days will be 120 years. Now, if you're a reader reading this, you may get overly distracted because you want to ask the question, So who are the sons of gods? Who are the daughters of humans or men? Well, the Jewish traditions and some early fathers, they would have argued that the sons of gods were Angels who married humans. Other commentators would have said that they were the ancient rulers or kings who married commoners. And still others, including some of our Reformation fathers, they took the view that the sons of God refers to the godly line of Seth, who sinned by marrying the descendants of Cain who rebelled against God. Well, the reality is not much is being told to us in Genesis about this account. Very little explanation is given with regards to who are the sons of God or daughters of men. But what is clear that we might end up missing that the author wants to tell us is that the actions of the sons of God were seen as evil and corrupt before God. In fact, we should focus on verse 2. It says this, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. So in in verse 2, what is pointing to us is that their actions were just like Eve, the mother of mankind. Look at verse 2 with me. It tells us the sons of God, they saw with their eyes what they deem is good to them and they took it. Like Eve, their eyes decide what was good and they took for themselves what their eyes last after. And in doing that, they stepped over God's boundary and grieved God deeply. Now, dear friends, as we pause, let's come back to ourselves. Our sins yours and mine are not merely impersonal actions that will be judged by this co-celestial king or judge called God. Our sins are always a personal rebellion against the God who made us good in His own image. Our sins are choosing what our eyes decide what is good and we go for it even if it is not what God wants us to do. It is human's disregard of God to be our own gods that deeply offend and grieve God, our life giver. And so the Lord God said in verse 3, he said this, look at it. My spirit will not contend with humans forever for they are mortals. In fact, if you read on to verse 5, let's look at verse 5 as well. Verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human hearts was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. Now, dear brothers and sisters, friends, humans, we are prone to victimize ourselves and then blame God for the mess of this world. But Genesis 6 tells us, the diagnosis is this, that we are the problems that cause the mess of this world. We have the potential for greatness, including great evil. Now, while the majority of humans, we do not exercise all our potential for evil, yet nevertheless we have the inclination for evil in every ways. We have the potential to hurt the people we hate and to hurt the people we love. We have the potential to uh, be heroic in a greater sense and yet evil and selfish in another way. Christians sometimes call this evil that we have, use the words total depravity. Now, total depravity This term, it doesn't mean that we are as evil as we can possibly be, but it does mean that even the good which we intend to do is faulty. We are constantly inclined to serve our own will, our own desires, and to reject God's rule. We may give in to God in one way and then we want to pull back on the other. Now, the history of Israel actually tells us that even the greatest father of faith... Even the greatest king who loves God can do the most perverse evil. We are prone to take God's glory for ourselves. Now in uh, 2003, I remember there was a national conference in Minnesota organized by the Desiring God Ministry. It was organized at the 300th anniversary of Jonathan Edwards' Now, you can guess where my son's name comes from. The theme of that conference was a God-entrenched vision of all things. A God-entrenched vision of all things. Now, one of the speakers then was the late J.I. Packer. And I remember clearly that occasion. He was pretty frail. He was quite hunchbacked um, as one of the men was introducing Packer saying that he might not even travel that far um, after this conference because he was getting old um, and he's getting frail. And so when Packer stepped up to the rostrum to preach, there was a sudden reverence for him. And suddenly people just stood up and gave him a standing ovation. And it was great. We were clapping for him. But as people clapped and clapped and clapped, the clapping and the standing ovation slowly becomes draggy. It seems to become awkwardly long. And all this time, all this time, Packer stood there. He said nothing. He just stood there and he waited and he waited. Until the last clap ended. He looked right at the crowd of hundreds or thousands. And he said this, and I never forgot what he said. He said, Father, forgive me that I actually enjoyed this. In that conference about God's glory, Packer reminded a well-behaved crowd of Christians how naturally we can rob God's glory right under his nose. Packer showed us how hard it is for us to be truly humbled before God. C.S. Lewis went further in his book, The Scruted Letters, saying this, even on a day where we become humble and poor in spirit, that we can quickly take pride in our humility. And if that's not enough, if we see the danger and we try to smother this new form of pride, how quickly we can be proud of our attempt. Do you see the problems of humans? And that is... A good day, brothers and sisters. But for most days, things are much darker. How often our human history sounds like the days of Noah, filled with wickedness and violence amongst people. So how true it is, for verse 5, that it says, Every inclination of the thoughts of human hearts was only evil. Now, dear friends, God has all the rights, in verse 7, to wipe from the face of the earth the human race He created, along with all the good things He made for us to rule. And so it is a language of grief and sorrow that God said in verse 7, For I regret that I have made them. Brothers and sisters, God is not a cold judge sitting in heaven who does not love humans, but He is the loving one whom we humankind rebel against and hated. He is the one most grieved when we sin against Him, when we turn away from Him and want to be our own gods. So the understanding of total depravity highlights the depth and also the desperation of our need for God to intervene and save us from our well-deserved judgment and death. None of us, none of us, have the capacity to reach God to be saved. But none of us is also out of the reach of God to come and save us. And that is where the good news about God's grace comes in through God reaching out to Noah from verse 8. So look on with me to verse 8. It says here, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, dear friends, Genesis 5 reveals that unless God intervenes, death is the destination for all of us, no matter how long we stretch our lifespan. Genesis 6 verse 1 to 7 and 8 gives us the diagnosis of humanity and how God grieves over our sin. Because we may not be as evil as we possibly can be, but we know that sin is part of our DNA. We are drawn to rob God's glory whenever we can and to be gods of our own lives. So it is from here that we understand verse 8. Look at verse 8 with me. It says this, That Noah, whose name was prophesied by his father, found favor in God, found God's favor, found God's grace. And I want us to look at verse 9 and 10 together. Open up your Bible, look at verse 9 and 10. Let me read it for us. Verse 9, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless amongst the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth. Now, we read about Noah who, like Enoch, walked faithfully with God. In this terrible age, verse eleven says this: "The earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence." And as God looked at the world, He saw only the hum—not only the human inclinations for evil. He saw humans living out the max of their inclination against each other, and God's judgment has to come to put a stop to this great evil that's spilling out of the world because Noah, he found God's grace, God spoke to Noah, revealing both his judgment on the world and his grace for us. God would destroy this world with a flood, but verse 18, he will establish a covenant with Noah. Now humankind will be saved through Noah's faith in God and his obedience to build an ark in the face of ridicule. And this is how the chapter ends, Genesis 6, with verse 22, that Noah did everything as God commanded him, and humanity and creation will be preserved. Now friends, I want to ask us this question to round up this third section. I want to ask us this question. Was humankind saved because of Noah's faith in God, or because of God's grace through Noah? Let me ask that question again. And you can think of your answer. Was humankind saved because of Noah's faith in God or God's grace through Noah? What is your answer? Well, the answer must be both. It is both Noah's faith in God and God's grace through Noah. But yet, listen to this, it must be God's grace on human that make it possible for Noah to have faith in God, It must be God's grace on humans that make it possible for Noah to have faith in God. God's grace comes before Noah's faith. Now, how do we see that order? Well, let's take a look back at the Bible and to see the Bible's explanation of Enoch's faith as well as Noah's faith. I want to invite us to look back to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. Let me read for us from verse 5 to verse um, 6. Listen to this. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commanded as one who pleased God. Listen to verse 6 carefully. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that, first of all, God exists. And number two, God rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Do you catch what is happening when he speaks about Enoch's faith? For Enoch to walk with God and be saved from death, he need to first of all believe that God exists. And that also means that He is not God, but God is God. He need to believe that God exists. And number two, he need to trust that God is a good God from the beginning. God is a good God. He longs to bless those who come to him. That has always been God's desire, to bless the people that he has made. So now Enoch's faith would have meant nothing if God does not exist, if God is not good, or if God did not help Enoch to know him. Enoch's faith saved him because he believed what was revealed to him as true, that God exists and God is good. And so Enoch is saved by living out his faith in this real and good God. How about Noah? The same goes for Noah because the next verse goes like this. Let me read it for us. By faith, Noah, when warned about the things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with Faith. Brothers, sisters, friends, for Noah to walk with God and be saved from death, he needs first of all to believe that God exists. And second, he needs to believe what God revealed to him about judgment and about deliverance. So the question for us was Noah saved by living out his faith? Yes. And it's because his faith is not imaginary. His faith points him to obey that real, good, just, and gracious God. Now, was Noah saved by the ark that he built? Well, the answer is yes, but only because God promised to save him and asked Noah to trust him and build the ark. So, dear friends, brothers and sisters, Genesis 5 tells us destination of humanity is is death. We have no means to save ourselves. Genesis 6 verse 1 to 7, 8 gives us the diagnosis of what is our DNA. And the rest of this Genesis 6 tells us that the real, good, just, and gracious God, He must judge the world, but He wants to save all who are willing to come to Him, to believe He is God and we are not, to believe that He is just and He must judge, to believe that He is good and He will save us, if only we will come to Him. So as we round up today's passage, we can be sure that none of us are going to save ourselves from our destination, but God can intervene and He has intervened. And this is where we'll hear more about it in the coming weeks and also in the New Testament, that God has sent one greater than Enoch, than Noah. God has sent His perfect Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who provided a way to deliver us from this eternal death we are heading towards by the wood he carries and the nails that were on his hands. While Noah obeyed, he built an ark to save humanity. Jesus Christ, he obeyed and took the wood with the nails and he will save us from our eternal death. Dear friends and brothers and sisters, We are not Enoch, we are not Noah, but we can be saved by putting our faith in God and in His words. So let me just end with this appeal for us. If any of us here, we're not yet a Christian or we've been attending church but we're sitting on the fence, can I ask, will we be willing to walk with God by believing He truly exists, that He is just and He is good? Will we be willing to trust in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died to pay for yours and my rebellion so that we can be saved from judgment? Will we do that? If you're sitting on the fence, will we do that? Now, if we are already Christians, then the the appeal is the same for us. Will we continue to walk with God? Will we continue to trust that God is real, that God is just, and that God is a good God even when the world is in a mess? Will we repent when we sin against Him in our words, in our actions, in our thoughts? Will we thank God? Will we thank God for His willingness to intervene and offer us a way out of our destination? And will we continue to trust in our Lord Jesus Christ for deliverance from the evil, from the sin and the death that humanity faces? May God help us that we'll always find God's favor in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why don't we pray together? Father, we thank you for Genesis 5 and 6, which reminds us of our destination, which gives us a diagnosis of our human race, and tells us that there is a way to be delivered from where we are heading. May we find favor in you through our Lord Jesus Christ. And may you help us to respond and walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.